It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise the next generation. And um, I don't know about you, but as you look around our world right now, especially in the Western world, look around mental health and all of the incredibly difficult issues around mental health. Look at the suicide rate in the Western world. Just in our newspapers and our TVs and devices recently, two very famous people, very successful people taking their own lives. And again, it puts all these things back on our radar and we think, how on earth, you know, we've got so much in the West and yet there's so many issues around suicide, around uh, depression and mental health, anxiety, all the kinds of issues as well. But you know, not every community on the planet is like that. In fact, many of you will come from communities that are quite different. You see, there's some parts of the world and they're more of a communal than an individual society. And so they think around we rather than I. And often in those communities, and I've been to many of those, as some of you have as well, we'll be sending a team out to South Africa again uh, in, in the summer. And I've been to many, many villages in Africa and other parts of the world, you know, where there's hardly anything materially, but there's this sense of joy and contentment and, uh, and they don't understand some of the issues that we seem to deal with in the West. And I wonder if there's something, because the Bible was written into a communal culture, not an individualistic culture, but a communal culture. They didn't think I, they thought we. They didn't think me, they thought us. And they understand it takes a village to raise a child. And there's a verse in the book of Proverbs, and it says this in Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And there's this sense in this verse, in these two verses, where God is saying, listen, you've got to take some responsibility for those around you. You know, it's not just you and your nuclear family, but it's the wider family of humanity. And especially when you bring a faith context into it, it's the wider community of the church and its wider community as well. And that's what we want to think about today. We're going to do it slightly differently. You're going to meet a few people and I'm going to interview them and then I'm going to come back and share some thoughts out of the Bible. One, one of the areas that we as a church try and invest into younger people is through our Equip program. And uh, that's a gap year intern program we've been running the last couple of years. And uh, what we do is young people come spend a year with us and uh, we invest in them. But also they also then in turn invest in your kids and your young people and children and young people all across the area. And one of the things that makes that happen is people who are willing to open up their homes and, and give, some, give a room for one of those people to come and spend a chunk of time. And a couple in the church that have done that for quite a few years now are Chris and Helen Neville. And I'm going to ask Helen if she can come. Why don't you put your hands together and welcome Helen. Thanks, Helen. Brilliant. Now, Helen, you, tell, you, you've, you've done this um, in a variety of different ways. Just tell us what you've done over the last few years. Um, a few years ago, we had a couple of people come stay with us just for a matter of weeks that were on placement at the church yep. from, um, from the Elim College. So yep. it's part of their learning there. Um, and we love that. Yeah. Um, but if I'm honest, at the time, our own girls had just left home and... <laughs> I really was in a place where I didn't feel I could quite give their bedrooms up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it took me a little while to adjust yeah. to that. But okay. then when the Equip program started a couple of years ago, it just felt emotionally and practically and you spiritually that it was the right time okay. to do that. 
So you gave up one of the rooms yeah. to not a girl, but a lad, yep. and he came. And just tell us yep. about their journey the last yeah. two and a half years now um, he's been with you. Yeah, <laughs> we've loved it. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a great fella to have around um, and very much become part of our family. Yeah. Um, obviously, after two years of being in the house, and so very much part of our family, but also I think we're part of his family yeah. and his wider family. Yeah. Um, and just the connections that that's meant has been, been lovely as well. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. What, what, how do you view doing this? You know, how, how, how has it evolved and, and developed for you and for Chris? I think it's two aspects to it, really, in terms of the church. Um, just seeing some of the guys, that, or all of the guys yeah. that have been on Equip and what they've bought yeah. and the gifts and the skills yeah. and the talents and their leadership, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, and their willingness just to serve and to just be in love with Jesus. Yeah. To be a host family is to be able to be part of their journey. Great. But I, I really do believe that they are a gift to us Fantastic. as a church. Great. Um, so to be part of that has yeah. just been, been lovely too. Brilliant. Yeah. So we've got nine equips that we've given places to so far coming in September. Yeah. We need six host homes. <laughs> so what would you say to anyone who is right now thinking about whether to do that? <laughs> um, consider it. It does, does change your life. Yeah. So you do need to consider it, pray about it. Um, but if you feel that it is something that you can do or that God's prompting you with, then start the conversation. Great. Um, just see if it is going to be a good fit for the people that are coming and whether it is something that you can offer. Um, but for, for us, it's just made our lives so much richer, really. Great. To wow. be able to do that. I know you've been an incredible blessing to people that have been in your home and are in your home. And to hear that that's been a blessing to you as well Absolutely. is win-win, is isn't it? Absolutely. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Great. Helen, thank you so much. Why don't we thank Helen? It's, it's one of the ways in which, you know, a village can, can input and invest. And, um, you know, if you're interested in that, please come and talk to me. Um, they need to have their own room. We give some money to cover food and stuff like that. But again, let's have a conversation and we would love to explore that with you. It would be so good. Some of these guys are coming from different parts of the country and they're young. It's maybe their first time away. So to have a place where they can come and be a part of that uh, for a period of time. It doesn't have to be a whole year. It can be just a few months. Just come and have a conversation with us. We want to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to invite Jonathan and Nick if they could come and join us on stage. Why don't you put your hands together and welcome them. So, um, if you don't know who these guys are, this is, this is Nick, uh, who, I don't know what to say for her sins, it's not really her sins, is actually my sister, uh, so, we're, so we are related by birth, because she's my sister, there you go. Um, and uh, ten, 10 years ago, Nick and Ash adopted three siblings into their family, and then into our family, and into our family our extended family, and since then has uh, set up an organisation looking to train and encourage people in various settings and set up support networks, etc., which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. And then Jonathan, and as I said at the first service, I remember Jonathan when he was in the youth group as a 13 or 14 year old, often getting into trouble, but we won't go there. We were, oh yes you were. And, and so actually for me, seeing Jal grow and become a man, become a father of a fa in his own family, but also 
been working for Phase Trust, the charity that we, we partner with for 20 years and investing into hundreds and hundreds of very vulnerable young people across our area is a real thrill to see these guys develop and grow. Nick, Nick, let's come to you first. In the world that you are in, what is it like out there? What's happening in the world for, for kids and, you know, in the adoption and fostering Okay, arena? yeah. Uh, currently, there's about um, just over 87,000 children in the looked-after system, and about 80% of those will be in foster care. Uh, there's quite a shortage of foster carers at the moment, so there's about 7,000 um, foster carers needed to, to meet that need. Uh, particularly with sibling groups um, and teenagers, there's a real shortage of people who will have teenagers in their home. Um, in terms of adoption, there's about 2,000 children waiting to be um, adopted. Uh, and again, the, the kind of shortfall in that is in, in kind of older children. So when they start to get mm. to about four, uh, they get more difficult to place. Um, yeah. And sibling groups, again, about 60% of those children are part of sibling groups. Yeah. Uh, so they're often split and that just yeah. creates more yeah. uh, difficulties for them, really. Okay. What difference does it make? I know this is a really big question in a short period of time. What difference does it make for a child to go into a foster home or an adopted home? What, what, what difference for their life now and the future yeah. can it make? Um, it's a huge difference. Obviously, ideally, everybody should be able to be with their birth parents, and, and, yeah. and we know that's the ideal. But when that can't happen, permanence is really important. To be able to be yeah. in a family that you can stay with and that you can feel that sense of belonging. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like we saw in that video, you know, that you can learn from the people around you and just being... Yeah. Part of a family is r really, really important. Okay. Um, and we can see the difference between children who move around a lot, uh, whether that's through foster care and those who are in a permanent place for a long time. Okay. You know, the outcome okay. sure. for them yeah. Yeah. is much different. Okay. Joe, coming to you, um, you've been working with young people a long time now. What's going on out there? What, what are some of the needs, issues that you're, you're facing and dealing with? Um, I think uh, many of the challenges that young people face are very similar to, you know, what we see back over history. You know, young yeah. people are still exploited relationally, yeah. sexually, uh, criminally. Young yeah. people are still having issues with relationships. Mm. Young people are still part of broken families. Young people are still antisocial, <laughs> having issues with behaviour, mm. um, you know, and all the issues um, around mental health. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Um, in the 20 years that I've been doing youth work, I think maybe some of those issues have deepened. Mm. Maybe some of those issues have evolved yeah. over time. Um, I think uh, the age of the internet has been a yeah. massive game changer, really, for young people. Yeah. Um, for example, um, in my day, um, <laughs> if you wanted to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> steady. Um, <laughs> You never said we'd say that, did we? When we were young, we never said we'd say that, but we do. I've yeah. still got six back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. Anyway, in, sorry. In, in your um, dreams. <laughs> so if, if, if you're at school, um, when I was at school, yeah. and bullying happened, it would be face-to-face. -face. You know, yeah. you, you would something would happen, you would go home, and you would have time to kind of recoup. Yeah. Um, build your resilience wow. back up and, and get back into, yeah. into life. Well, now, because of the internet, you don't yeah. get that. Yeah. Young people exactly. are connected all the time. Their resilience is being eroded away. And um, wow. as a result, kind of their coping strategies don't, don't get chance to develop. Um, wow. And young people are just in a, a more difficult place than they've ever yeah. been. Wow. T tell us some of the 
kind of young people you work with and maybe a story of, of, of something, you know, and how you, because you work for Phase Trust, which we partner with, you know, and other people as well, and how you're able to, to influence and encourage young people. And we, we work with just a whole host of young people that have, you know, multiple challenges um, from someone that is um, not engaging in school mm -hmm. for, again, a variety of reasons, all the way to, you know, someone that has um, a learning difficulty or mm -hmm. disability and just, you know, helping them, you know, understand some of their challenges and yeah. uh, trying to help them just engage with their life. Just an example, um, I've got a lad that I'm working with um, who's got autism and um, unfortunately he uh, tried to take his own life a few weeks ago. Wow. Um, thankfully, you know, he was unsuccessful and he, mm -hmm. he came back um, uh, to do some work with us. And I just had just the amazing privilege of just sitting down and talking to him about emotions. And he's like, yeah. I've got all this emotion and I can't get rid of it. Like, yeah. I don't understand it. And it was yeah. just amazing just to be able to sit down and say, well, all of these uncomfortable emotions, it's normal. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You, you, yeah. you know, just helping him understand these are just responses yeah. Yeah. to the circumstances we're yeah. in and actually this is what we can do about yeah. it. And for him, like, it might seem a simple thing, you know, um, yeah. to everyone else, but for him it was like, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that was amazing wow. just to see it, wow. you know, really open up his understanding yeah. and then yeah. him be able to, you know, take that understanding away yeah. and, and see it impact his life in a positive wow. way. That's you being a father there, almost that kind of fathering thing, presence in his life in that moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know, most young people um, do have someone to teach them those, yeah. you know, what yeah. we would deem basic yeah. skills of life. But there's lots of young people that don't yeah. get that. Um, yeah. And that's why it's such a privilege, yeah. you know, to be able to just say, well, you know, these are the things that will help yeah. you in your life yeah. um, and take them and, and, and yeah. use them. Amazing. Nick, um, think adoption and fostering for us as a church yeah. has become part of our heartbeat as well. Do you want to just explain um, how that's evolved and what the scene is there currently? Yeah, so, so I think over the last few years, um, we, we've just kind of developed a, a, a community, I guess, really, of adopters and foster carers. It's very unusual um, within the church, but we have about eight adoptive families and about five or six foster carers, which equates to about 30 young people from mm. tiny babies up to 18, 19. Mm. Um, so that's kind of changed a lot of, of, of the, the yeah. kind of how it looks in the youth department. Um, we've learned a lot over the years of how to, how to meet the needs of, of children who've experienced, you know, some of the level of trauma that some of them have, have experienced. As families, together, we've formed a really good community together, so we support each other uh, very well. We have a support group for foster carers. We have a support group for adopters. Um, we kind of get each other. You know, that peer-to-peer -peer support is really important. Um, but there are also times when we can't meet each other's need because we're all struggling with our own yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So within some of our life groups that are outside of that community, we've started to get other people involved in that and, and just helping, really. And I think it's it's about wrapping around the whole family. The youth and children's department do wonderful things with that. And FaZe, some of our yeah. children have experienced uh, help from FaZe that's been invaluable. Um, but for the for parents, there's also yeah. the, you know, yeah. how do you come around the whole family, really? Yeah. Great. So. 
I know because other parents have spoke to me just what a brilliant support you've been as well in terms of what you've done, um, uh, in terms of encouraging them. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. But I think there's something fantastic about the partnership there, you know, between all of us, isn't there? So, Jonathan, back to you. Final thing, really. What can we do as a response? I mean, obviously, some of us here may, may say, hey, we could explore fostering and adoption, in which case we could talk to you as a first point of call. What can we do in, in abroad? If it takes a village to raise children and young people, what can we all do? How can we all respond? I think probably the most simple and profound thing that we can all do is, is just be available, you know, yeah. um, to connect. And um, there's a guy um, who uh, wrote a book called Bruce D. Perry. He's a, a psychiatrist. And he said... Um, Human connection is kind of at the centre yeah. of any therapeutic approach. Um, parenting, effective teaching, caregiving, youth work, and just about any human endeavour. And I was, <clears throat> I read that and I just thought, that that's spot on. We're all human. We all have the ability to connect. And often what what's missing for a lot of young people is that mm. connection. Um, most of the challenges that they experience come because of a deficit of yeah. connection or, yeah. um, you know, a disruption in that ability uh, to connect. And I think, for, you know, for you sitting here, it's just remembering, actually, if you're human, you can connect <laughs> and you do not need to be a cool youth worker <laughs> to connect with young people. Actually, young people find value in any... Very any good. generation and every generation very good and that's my passion yeah. when i hear people say i couldn't be a youth worker i was like you totally can and i think just mm. saying hello to a young person yeah um being okay when they're being numpties <laughs> uh, encouraging them you know uh, when they're around i think makes a massive deal yeah. the smallest thing makes the biggest difference for a young person um if you're you know in church saying hello it's good they will go away and think, wow, they noticed I was there. Yeah. And I think that's Very a massive good. thing that you can do. And I just think for Faze and certainly for, for you know, the work that Nick's does, just pray. You know, yeah. It's a yeah. massive deal, prayer. And as good as you know, we feel our work is, sometimes we sit in front of people and we're yeah. just like, I just yeah. cannot do this. This is yeah. far too co complex. This is just above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> But it's not above God's, which is fantastic. That's right. I think wow. just inviting God to be part of the process is, is wow. so key. Guys, thank you so much. Let me, let me just capture a couple of things you've said. The smallest thing can make the biggest difference. And sometimes I think this is above my pay grade, but it's not above God's. That's gold there. Thank you guys so much. Why don't we thank these guys for what they've brought to us? Thank you. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much that you love people. God, your word says you set the lonely in families. God, your dream for planet Earth was this incredible village, this incredible community of people, all inclusive, embracing, not just the nuclear family, but those that, that can look out beyond their own sphere and mirror how you view us. God, you are the ultimate includer. You're the ultimate acceptor. You're the ultimate embracer. And so, Lord, as we 
are so grateful that you did that for us. God, may we mirror that kind of love to others around us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That was great, wasn't it? And, and I think like the guys are, are, will be in the connection point out in the atrium if you want to talk at all to them about the work of phase or about adoption fostering how you can get uh, more involved that would be great I heard we heard years ago of a church down on the south coast that basically felt God say to them to go to their local authority and say all these kids that you've got in care we'll have them and as a church a broader church over a period of time took in one after the other after the other out of the care system and into great homes and families that changes the world doesn't it changes the world. You know, I, I think at the, the heart of um, a human condition, uh, the, one of the biggest issues that we face, and I think this is so important when it comes to the whole issue of uh, fathering and of raising up uh, the next generation, is the issue of identity. I just don't think we know who we are. And I don't think we know why we're here. And most importantly, we don't know who we matter to. And that issue of identity isn't just in, in children who've come out of difficult situations. It actually tracks all the way through into adulthood. Many of us as adults don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. And we don't know who we really matter to. So one of my favourite stories, really old story. It's a Spanish story. How many of you are watching the World Cup? Come on, how good are Spain? Portugal. England will do it, don't you worry. There's a Spanish story. Yeah, and total denial and delusion there. There's a Spanish story of a father and a son who'd become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months but couldn't find him. Finally, in a last desperate attempt to find him, he put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up. 800 young men estranged from their fathers. Because deep inside, we want to know who we are, why we're here, and who we really matter to. And it's really interesting. Security in life comes from identity. And identity ultimately only comes from one place. And that's our Heavenly Father. And so interestingly enough, Jesus got his identity from his father also. There's only two times in the scriptures that um, you see directly the father speaking to the son. Here's the first one um, at the baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven, so this is the father, said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now fast forward to the Mount of Transfiguration, which is the other time when the Father speaks. And he says this, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Do you notice something? It's exactly the same, isn't it? The only two times the Father speaks about his Son, he says exactly the same things. This is my Son. That's acceptance. Whom I love. That's affection. With him I am well pleased. That's affirmation. And interesting, in the first instance, when he said, with him I'm well pleased, he hadn't done a single thing. He hadn't taught a message. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't sat any tests. He got no sat results. He didn't have his GCSEs. He hadn't done his A-levels. He got none of that. And God the Father said, I am well pleased with you. You don't have to do anything to earn my approval. We all need that, don't we? 
That's so, so huge. And I'll put it into this kind of phrase here. This is my son, acceptance, who I love, affection. With him, I am well pleased, affirmation. Just hold that there for a minute, Josh. We all need that, don't we? I sit with people, you know, and I look in the mirror at myself sometimes. And I'm thinking, do I really live in the reality of that identity? Maybe we all need an identity upgrade so that we can understand that actually we are accepted by him. We are loved by him and we are affirmed and approved by him. And when we know that, that will form that healthy attachment to the one who made us. And when we know that and have that right, maybe then we can start reaching out to others and helping others have that same kind of deal as well. But interesting enough, what happened to Jesus is that when, um, when God gave him this sense of identity, immediately he was taken into the desert and the devil tempted him and attacked his sense of identity, if you are the son of God. But then when he came back and he passed that test, the Bible then said the next thing he did after identity was he found community. He found his people. He got the 70 and the 12 and within the 12 there was the 3 and there was the 1. And then out of community he began the activity or the ministry that God had for him. And I think this order is so important on the next slide. This is so important. Identity, community and then activity or ministry. And I think all of us need upgrades in all those three areas, don't we? I've been, when I was away in America, I was really challenged about this, the sense of identity and community before the activity and the ministry. Who am I? Who am I doing life with? And then what am I doing? Rather than what am I doing? Who am I doing life with? Who am I? And then what am I actually doing? You know, the government appointed just a, a few years ago, I think, a minister of loneliness, didn't they? A minister of loneliness. An estimated half of people aged 75 and over live alone. About 2 million people that is across England, with many saying they can go days, weeks even, with no social interaction with another human being. And yet the Bible says that God sets the lonely in families. And I think that once we know who we are, we can be that village that God dreamed about. You see, for me, I'm passionate about this. The village God dreamed about that will raise the next generation is the church. It's meant to be the place which is all-inclusive and embracing and that place where we say, do you know what? In this place, we'll get our identity from our Father, regardless of our human experiences. You are not the label that you've been given. You are who God says you are. Isn't that right? And we'll get that in the church. This place, the village of the church, is, is meant to be where the isolated and disconnected and struggling and imperfect people really belong. I've said to a few people this week, as they've talked to me about their lives and their challenges and all of their stuff, and I can hear in their voice what they're saying is this, and therefore someone like me couldn't possibly belong in a church, could they? And I've stopped them. The two or three people I've said, can I just tell you, there's only imperfect people allowed in our church. We don't allow the perfect ones in. Isn't that right? Some of you are thinking, well, you let me in. <laughs> exactly. We let you in because you ain't perfect. There's only one kind of p person and it's the imperfect kind. And God sets the lonely in families where they can belong. It's the place where we bring out the best in one another, where we stir one another on. It's the place where dreams are meant to be incubated and nurtured and encouraged. It's the place where our character is refined, where weaknesses are strengthened and where hope is rekindled. That's God's dream. It's called the church. It's that village 
that raises the next generation. Dallas Willard, who is an incredible author, he wrote this. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Isn't that a great quote? This idea that this all-embracing community where God himself is the sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. This isn't just a club. It's a supernatural community where lives are transformed and changed. Last weekend, I had the privilege of heading over to Albania just for the weekend. And Some of you know that the church we go to in Albania, we've been going for 12 years. We sent a team a few weeks ago. We're sending another team in October. Details of that will come out soon. And... Um, Six months ago, they, the guy that started that church, Canadian missionary who has lived in Albania for over 20 years, him and his family are now back in Canada. He's been trying to manage the church from the other side of the world and it's struggling. And so six months ago, he said to me, would you guys take on the church? We've been praying uh, about that. We talked with Elim Missions Department. The church has now become part of Elim Global. And so last weekend, I went and David from Canada also went and together we told the church that there's going to be a shift and that now that we are taking on kind of spiritual oversight and leadership of the church. So Life Central Church in Duras, potentially, which is very exciting. And I want to show you a picture because this is the leadership team at the church. This is myself, obviously, and Pastor David. This guy here on the, on the outside is called Yetan. He's 24. He came to the church as a child from a Muslim family. He needed to find food. He had no food. That church took him in. They gave him food. They introduced him to Christ. He grew up in the church. He is now the leader of the church. Last weekend, we laid hands on him. You can go to the next picture, Josh, please. Me and David laid hands on him and we anointed him and said, we see Yeton as the pastor in training in this church. In the next 12, 18, 24 months, I want to invest in him. We want to invest in him so that he takes on the leadership of that church. He left school when he was 14. Many of those young guys that you saw on, 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 on the leadership team, many of them left school when they were 13, 14, 15, don't have a lot of education. But the way that community has embraced them and the way they've flourished and thrived is incredibly inspiring. And there's something else that I want to share with you about what happened last week. So I was there to preach and, um, and I, I couldn't get away from Joshua 1 verse 1 to 9. And uh, when we were at Elim Conference recently, a guy preached on that passage and it was really inspiring. And it was going around my head. And I thought, I want to preach on that passage. And it's where Moses had died and Joshua, the new leader, took the people into the promised land. And I thought, I said to God, God, I can't really say that because that's going to look like people are going to think that I'm saying he's Moses and he's dead. Do you know what I mean? And, and now I'm Joshua. And I'm like, that's, that's not it because he sat there. Do you know what I mean? And I couldn't get away from it because it still felt right. Because to me, it isn't about a person. It's about the promise. The season changes and a shift happens, but the promise of God is still alive. And so I preached this message and I said, this isn't, and I made fun of it. And I said, this isn't, I'm not saying Pastor David is Moses. He's not dead. He sat right there. Bloody, bloody, blah. This isn't about the people. This is about the promise of God. And I said, as, as I was, God says, as I was with the old, so I am with the new. So as I was with you there, so I will be with you there. It may look different, but I'm still the same God. And this kind of stuff. And as I began to speak that out, and I think you need to hear some of these things, what was incredible, okay, was at the end of the message, after we prayed for Yeton, David took the microphone and tears are rolling down his cheeks. And he says, what none of you know is this. Over 25, 26 years ago, 
And I knew this story. He says, I was divorced. I was a Pentecostal minister. My wife left me for another man. I was sat in a church. I was broken. I was full of shame. I had to leave my denomination. I didn't know where my life was going. I was sat in a church in Canada, he said. And this young guy got up to the pulpit and I thought, oh no, I need to hear a word from God. What's this young guy got that I'm going to have to hear? And he says, he opened up the Bible and he preached from Joshua 1, verse 1 to 9. He says, and as I sat there, it was God said to me, Moses represents your old life, that's gone. You are now to enter into a new season. He says, and on that word, I decided to go to Albania. And so he left 25, 26 years ago and he's there in the church and that's the very same word that I preach. It gets better than that because then after, after that, Yeton came to me and he showed me his tie and on the bottom of his tie there is Joshua 1 verse 9. How crazy is that? Maybe you put it down to coincidence three times. That's up to you. For me, it was like a holy moment where I thought, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know what, how we're going to mentor thousands of miles away. I don't know what it means. I don't know any of that, but I know that God's here. Because when God sets himself in community, you know that something supernatural is going on. Amen. And so I want you to hear that because it's so, so important. That when we build community, we're not just building community like everybody else is. We're not just building it like social services and we pray for them and we value them. We're not just building it like other organisations. We are building it on the foundation of a supernatural God who is community himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And I think this is so important. Listen to this. It takes a village to raise a child. I believe that it does. Our children need all of the strong, caring, compassionate adults we can stack around their lives. But if we stop there, we stop well short of the mark. Not only does it take a village to raise a child, it takes a village to care for those who grow old in our midst. It takes a village to welcome and include newcomers. It takes a village to care for the fragile and the vulnerable. It takes a village to help couples find their way through the challenges of life. It takes a village to dance in our moments of joy. It takes a village to stand shoulder to shoulder with us in times of need, holding us up when we cannot stand up on our own. By and large, I think we've forgotten this and we're paying the price. Our sense of community, our sense of responsibility towards one another, our sense of caring for one another has been pushed aside in favour of the myth of rugged individualism. That or I can do it all on my own. That I am responsible for myself and for no one else. That my own strength and willpower and hard work is enough. But none of that is true. It just is not. I read that on a blog and I thought, that's so inspiring. It takes a village to raise a child. And you know what? As well as all of us and as well as reaching out to Hagley and to Rowley, we also now have part of our village in Albania. And the guys wanted just to say hello to you this morning. So here it is. <laughs> Fantastic. Why don't we stand? Let's stand together. So invite the band back up. You know, I, I, want, I want to leave you with a challenge. If it takes a village, okay, here's the first challenge. Are you willing to ask the village for help? You see, many people, we say, yeah, we're in community, but we hold on to our stuff and we try and deal with it all, of our, all on our own. It doesn't take strength to do that. It takes more strength to ask for help. So if you are part of a village, are you willing to ask for help? Secondly, if you're part of a village, are you willing to be that help for somebody else? 
Maybe right now you need to receive it, but there will come a moment when you can give it. And the beauty of relationship and community is where we're in that place where God by His supernatural power is present. He's the prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And then what He does is He gives us the strength to ask for help. But He also gives us the strength to be that help for others as well. Let me pray. Father, thank You so much. On Father's Day, we can sing now about a good, good Father. The one who builds community, the one who sets the lonely in families, the one who gives us that sense of identity and to know who we are, to know who we matter to, to know that we're loved, that sense of acceptance and affection and affirmation. And God, I pray today on Father's Day that every single one of us would know that. And that then, Lord, we would live out of that and be that village that raises and inspires encourages, rescues, restores, redeems others. God, we pray for those amongst us who are adopting and fostering right now. God, I know there are so many huge challenges on their plate. Lord, would You be their Father? Would You be their provision, we pray. Lord, for those who are working with young people, not just Faze, but I think of teachers here in this place. I think of teaching assistants. Think of other people out there in the community who are coming alongside young people and children. God, would you help them? And Lord, it doesn't just stop with children and young people. God, we want to be the village that raises and encourages every person of whatever age. Because that's the kind of heart you have. So Lord, now as we celebrate by reminding ourselves who you are and who we are, God, would you take us deeper, I pray. May we be that all-inclusive community with you as our primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. In Jesus' name, Amen.